Today we're here back in Impact Studio, and uh, we have Travis Clark on the line, who is a reporter for TopDoorSoccer.com. Uh, Travis, how's it going, man? Well, it's going pretty well. How about you? Uh, not bad. Uh, you know, it's been all right here, the weather. It, you know, the last two games for Michigan State have been uh, pretty warm, which has been pretty surprising here in uh, late November, early December. So uh, it's been pretty interesting here, the weather-wise, at least. Yeah, and, and an interesting game last weekend, huh? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Give us your, give us your thoughts on that game. Uh, did, uh, did you watch it from from the start? I wasn't able to watch it, but uh, I was tracking sort of what was going on, what was happening, and you had to think that with Washington up two zero, that they were you know kind of home and dry and into the next round of the tournament. Um, so maybe that's what they thought as well. And obviously, Michigan State's a really good team and put together the two goals needed to come back, forced overtime, and then obviously penalty kick. So. You know, to kind of win that, you could, could see really evolve the team into the College Cup. And obviously now with the fact that the Spartans are one win away, uh, there's lots to be optimistic about heading into this uh, next round of games for them. I can honestly tell you, down 2-0 with 15 minutes left, I didn't I didn't think they had it in them. But, uh, you know, just you throw balls forward and then, you know, I, it was the freshman, I believe, uh, Garrett uh, Jackson, that I think deflected the ball into his own goal. And then, you know, just a great ball by Carroll to Montague, and then Tim ran hard to the goal. And I was surprised he did that again after getting punched in the face by uh, Richie. And he, I think he, he might have a broken nose after that one play he was down for a while. So, you know, credit for to Tim Kreutz for running towards the goal. And then I kind of felt like PKs was, was going to happen again. But, wow, I, I think that's one of the best ga- uh, soccer games I've ever seen or been at. So the, that it was it was amazing. Yeah, sounds like it. So why not? We'll, we'll just start with that game, actually. Uh, uh, that's the first game to kick off the weekend. Uh, at noon on Saturday, we have uh, the Michigan State Spartans and the Providence College Friars. Uh, this game will take place at DeMartin Stadium in East Lansing, Michigan. Providence College plays in the Big East, a very good team. They've you know, Creighton plays in the Big East, and you know they're in the Elite Eight. Uh, uh, you know, Xavier is a very good squad. They they beat uh, they beat Indiana. Uh, Georgetown's in the Big East, and you know Georgetown's in the Elite Eight as well. What what do you make of this Providence Friars team? They're a team that's I think kind of been under the radar for most of the year, but when you look at what they they've done, you know, winning the Big East tournament, if memory serves me right, and kind of putting together a a pretty incredible run when you look at it. I mean, you know, they've only had to play a couple games at home, so you know this this challenge on the road against the Spartans is going to be a very very stiff one. But 
know, they they beat UC Irvine, they beat Dartmouth on the way here. You know, they have a couple of attackers, Dominic and Fabio Machado. You know, sprinkle in a few Germans, I think, here and there. And they've got the ingredients that make up a tough college soccer team. So it's not going to be an easy game for the Spartans to win. Obviously, the committee was very kind to them, uh, them being Michigan State, to get them, give them the three seed and have a home game, though. You might argue even if they were a little bit higher playing a team like Providence now, maybe they'd still be hosting this game regardless. But no matter how you spin it, it should be a, a pretty good, tough college soccer game. What does Providence do well? You know, I think there's a lot of elements to them that remind me of these steady teams, defend well, look to spring on the, the counterattack. I haven't seen a ton of them. I've probably seen the other seven teams in this field a lot more. But, uh, you know, they've picked up some big wins over the past couple of months. They beat Georgetown 2-0 at Georgetown, which is no easy feat. They beat Creighton, I think, 1-0 in the Big East semifinals, then beat the aforementioned Xavier side 2-1. to one. So you know, that that's kind of, it's not a, a couple of lucky results here and there. The ball bounces their way, but rather, you know, keeping it tight at the back and then they're, you know, players stepping up, delivering when needed, uh, whether it's the Machado brothers or somebody else on the roster. So I don't think there's a star player on their team necessarily or one guy that the Spartans have to kind of key on. And, you know, maybe that's, is what makes their team successful. Um, you know, Marcus Nagelstad scored that goal. He's a, a Norwegian for who, uh, if you, I don't know if you've seen the free kick, but it's yeah, pretty it's amazing one. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they've got this, that interesting blend of uh, a bunch of Americans and then random international players sprinkled here and there on the roster. So it's kind of the, embodies the college soccer kind of way things are. Julian Gressel is another guy that's impressed me. He's a sophomore midfielder also out of Germany. So, you know, like I said, he's kind of, this team kind of embodies a lot of what you see, uh, the ingredients for a good college soccer team these days. Obviously, when we began the podcast, uh, you know, Michigan State with that, you know, incredible comeback win against Washington, it sounds like it's going to be a lot in the mid of, of the Michigan State midfield that's needing to get it done as, as usually in soccer it is. Uh, you know, your midfield has to play well for everyone else to usually play well. Again, Michigan State, Still makes me a little nervous uh, giving up, you know, the first goal against Washington was off a deflection. You could do nothing about that. But the long throws, and I don't know if Providence does the, the long throws, but, you know, just to learn, knowing, you know, when to defend restarts like that, it just makes me nervous. Uh, is, is, is that something Providence, uh, you know, can do at times, Have a, throw the ball on long when they're in the Michigan State final third? You know, I haven't seen them do a long throw, so maybe they don't do it, but um, you know, like I said, college soccer teams find a way, and set pieces are something that a team like Providence can probably do well and hurt you at, as they showed last game. You know, that's why they scored their only goal, although that was a direct free kick. But, um, you know, those kind of situations teams have to maximize on at this stage of the game, a season, because the soccer becomes more about, you know, winning as opposed to building team momentum or, uh, it's, you know, it's very result-oriented, which can kind of lead to just a lot of pinball soccer. So um, that can create those sort of deflections and set-piece opportunities that separate teams at this point in this season. What does Michigan State need to do to advance to the College Cup? Well, they can start by not conceding the first two goals of the game. <laughs> um, no, but 
the you know the, the keys are the same as they were when we talked about the Big Ten tournament. Uh, you know, you win the midfield battle, you create chances for your big boards up front, keep it clean at the back, uh, play a clean game of soccer, and not give up you know dumb fouls where you're conceding set pieces in and around your box, that kind of a thing. So I think it's pretty simple. You know, you got to have a big game from Jay Chapman. Ty Lache can clean things up at the back, and then you need you need some solid play from Zach Carroll and Ryan Keener at that center back. So they'll have their hands full with the. I think they're the Friars are a little bit more about speed than other teams are. So it's a it's it's kind of a similar format, but you need to make sure you're you're defending well and kind of making the plays that you need to make at, at the right times. I definitely think also, you know, Montague and Kreutz need to have a good game as well. Adam had a Adam held the ball very well up top against Washington. And, you know, as a result, that's how they got the, you know, good play from Adam gets the game tying goal. And I think it's also going to be the bench for Michigan state. Uh, you know, Ken Kralicki, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, Jerome Cristobal uh, coming off the bench. Uh, those guys are really energy boosters for the team. And, uh, you know, if guys get worn down, like you said, with the speed of Providence, you know, that's going to be important. Uh, the Michigan state bench to, uh, to come in and play well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, college soccer games at this stage of the season, can be dictated by you know one bounce here or there that kind of a thing. So you need you need all 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, however, however many subs they use. You need all your guys to step up and deliver big performances. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see uh, if Jimmy Fiskus comes back uh, because he hurt his knee early in the Washington game. But Brad Santala filled in pretty well, and Brad and Santala has been playing you know a good amount this season. So that'll be interesting to see at left back what they're going to do if a uh, fiscus is fine or not. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it comes back to, you need, you need the next man to step up. If you're regular, it can't be counted on because of injury or whatever else is going on. All right, let's move across the bracket. Uh, another game on Saturday at uh, 1 PM is Virginia Georgetown. Now the Cavaliers finally get past good old Notre Dame, who they just seem just couldn't really do well against whether they played them in the postseason or the regular season. Uh, Georgetown, a lot of people like Georgetown, I know Jr. like Georgetown to advance this far. They beat uh, Syracuse, so I thought would make it to the the championship game. You've talked about uh, Georgetown with Josh Yarrow, very good defender for the uh, Hoyas. But then Virginia has Eric Bird, who's a very good uh, midfielder as well. What do you make of this matchup? I know I think it's an it's another good one. I think Georgetown as was a bit lucky um, to get past Syracuse, who I thought was a better team for long stretches of that match and. You know, Yarrow is obviously an excellent defender, can shut down, you know, the best players in the country. I've watched him time and time again limit players. You know, the funny thing about Georgetown is they hadn't, before their game against Syracuse, they hadn't scored off of a corner kick and against, uh, you know, get up, up against the, the Syracuse defense that is one of the best in the country, Alex Bono, great goalkeeper. You know, they scored two, two corner kick goals to advance. So that, Seeing that, you know, that's the kind of thing that I was talking about when we were discussing the Michigan State matchup with Providence. You know, you've got to have players step up at the right times, you know, make those kind of uh, get on the end of a corner kick, you know, even if you haven't at all this year. So Georgetown hasn't blown me away at any time. I feel like they were a little bit more fun to watch when they had Steve Newman kind of buzzing in around the midfield. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on their day, they're a great team. They can control games, control possession. Uh, Yarrow makes it very difficult. His matchup against Darius Madison should be a pretty good one. Uh, up at the back for De Hoyas, with Madison being the uh, Virginia four that battled some injuries this year. Uh, you know, obviously, I think the 
the Cavaliers are going to try to strangle the game, do a little bit of what they did against Notre Dame, make it hard to play. Uh, those conditions in that game, though, were pretty rough. It should be noted. There was a lot of wind, and mm-hmm. you know, Virginia got their goal off of kind of a garbage set piece. But like I said, again, you know, that that's the kind of thing that teams are are going to give up. This, they're not going to give a lot, a lot from the run of play. They're going to sit deep. Um, they're going to make it t- tough to play against. And I think Georgetown will have its hands full trying to kind of break down that Cavalier barrier. But uh, then probably just have, we'll have enough to advance to another college cup. At least I think. But you know, you know, never know what's going to happen. Yeah, Georgetown still has Brendan Allen, who was you know good for them last year. He's got 11 goals, three assists this year. But it just for some reason doesn't think that the Virginia team just doesn't seem like the old Virginia teams we've seen, especially you know with the transfers of you know Zach Carroll had left for Michigan State, James le- leaves for uh, Penn State, and they lose another guy as well. You know, it it just seems it'll be an interesting matchup between those two between those two teams, like you said. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a you know it's a local kind of a regional battle. These two teams played a couple of years ago. I went to the game up here in the D.C. area, and, you know, it was a good game. I think the Hoyas won, and it was the 2012 season that they uh, kind of announced themselves on the national stage, and we'll look to do so again on Saturday. Out of those two games we talked about, Virginia-Georgetown and Michigan State-Providence, who do you have advancing to the College Cup? Uh, I think that, well, I had neither at this stage <laughs> for the tournament, but yeah. we're going to go with Georgetown-Michigan State. Oh, an interesting, an interesting matchup from last year because the Spartans went into uh, Washington D.C. and uh, defeated the uh, Georgetown Hoyas one zero off a goal uh, from Adam Montague. So, uh, you know they could po- they won't meet necessarily in the co- in the final four, but they can meet in the national championship. So that makes it pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I mean probably, you can't take on Providence, and obviously Virginia did it last year. But on paper, I'm going to take those two teams. Okay, for sure. All right, and then to actually kick off the weekend on December fifth, we have Creighton UMBC. Creighton's always been a very strong program. They've been within the top 15-10 the whole entire season. They got a 12, they got a 12 seed. UMBC, I, you know, have they just come out of nowhere or are they just playing really good? Are they hot right now? Is that why they're 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 this far in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I will start off with saying they got a bit lucky against Louisville. Louisville was creating all kinds of chances. UMBC goalkeeper made a couple of ridiculous saves. Um, you know, that being said, the Cardinals needed to, they got the score to win games. So UMBC's first half PK set up. And last year, the UMBC was a really strong program, went undefeated or lost one game, and then was, you know, given like a 16 or 15 seed and lost in the second ra- round to Connecticut. So, you know, they're always a little skeptical that they could put it together again. And you could argue that this year's team's a little bit weaker even. Last year, they had uh, four Pete the third bagging um Banging goals left and right this year, not the on the team, but they picked up a transfer from, I believe it was Towson, which dissolved its soccer program named Kai Banjo, kind of a senior who's managed to pick up enough of the scoring slack to keep the game really tight. You look at the scores of their three tournament games, a 0-0 draw against Wake Forest, they won on PKs, you know, beating Maryland 1-0, where Maryland kind of reverted to its early season form, struggled to create and connect uh, in the final third. And then you know, the win against Louisville, another feather in its cap. I, I think this could be a bridge too far. Creighton at home, very tough to beat. And when you look at it, you know, it's kind of been a very generous pass for Creighton. You know, obviously Xavier is no pushover, but I know Creighton at home is, I wouldn't pick against them, even if it was the best team in the country. Um, you know, they seem to know what, how, what they need to do to get it done at Omaha. And I think they'll take it once again. You know, they're playing well, peaking at the right time of the season, despite a, a number of injuries uh, that 
plagued them at kind of the beginning to middle stages of the 2014 campaign. So, uh, you know, UMBC could win this game for sure, but the Blue Jays have a big advantage, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, when I've talked to, you know, Damon Runsing and uh, some of the other coaches on the coaching staff, you know, they you know they went to Creighton last year and they tied, and that's not an easy environment. You know, I, I do like Creighton in that game as well. I just think UMBC's uh, run uh, has to come to an end sometime, and I think Creighton at home, just too good. And then we'll move to the other side of the bracket, December 6th. So Saturday, this is a this is a night game, 8 p.m. We have North Carolina going to Los Angeles to play UCLA. Not a lot of people had North Carolina making it to the Elite Eight, uh, getting past a very good Charlotte team and having to, you know, beat Clemson. They've won, you know, they, the first round game, they beat James Madison 6-0, and they played at home, and the next two they played on the road and won 2-1 both games. Is UCLA just too good at home, or can North Carolina give them a challenge? Oh, this should be another close game. Uh, I think all four games of these will be pretty tight affairs. Nothing, no one's going to run away with it. Uh, North Carolina is playing well at the right, right time. You know, you look at the teams they beat. They beat uh, 10-seeded Charlotte after that JMU game. And the, while some may sleep on Charlotte, you know, their conference USA team, maybe not that great. They're still a good, solid team and tough to beat. North Carolina did it. They did the same thing to the opponents, Clemson, uh, who were the seventh seed in the tournament. So I think that the Tar Heels are, you know, your classic peaking at the right time case where they have good, you know, good talent, good pieces. You know, Rob Lovejoy, uh, Tyler Engel, and Andy Craven up front. You know, a decent, a good center back partnership in Boyd Okuono and Jonathan Campbell. Good, senior, you know, it's just a lot of senior leadership guys that have been there, done that. A uh, number of players who are with the team uh, during the 2011 national title run, although not a whole lot of players, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously there's that side of it, but UCLA has a lot of great talent, uh, great experience as well. You know, Leo Stoles is the obvious candidate, and he's kind of helped carry them to this point. You know, you get 2-1 win against San Diego, 3-2 against California, and I wouldn't say that either of those games were comfortable. There, the Bruins could have lost that game to San Diego if not for a pair of Earl Edwards quality saves in overtime. Uh, I, I, why I like UCLA is this kid of Lou Dunlady. I don't know if you've seen him, but mm-hmm. the freshman forward who battled injuries for large portions of the regular season, UCLA kind of kept him out, and now he's fit. He's, he's getting a lot of minutes, and he's basically unstoppable, as unstoppable a forward as I've seen college in the past few years. He is you know, a blend of pace, power, and technical ability, good finisher, knows to the goal, knows when to make the right runs, and set up teammates and score goals himself. And UCLA has the most talent in the, the eight teams available. It's a question of putting it together, and I think they will in this case. I'm not sure about over in Cary, but at home they should be able to win this game. So in our uh, final four we have here, uh, Michigan State, Georgetown, and then Georgetown would play Creighton, and Michigan State would play UCLA, is what we have, what we discussed. That's correct, yeah. Okay. So in this College Cup matchup, Michigan State against UCLA, can the Spartans beat the Bruins? Well, I don't know about that. I'm not gonna, I think I would have to pick the Bruins just simply based off of what I kind of mentioned before. I think that Dunlady would have too much for the Bruins' back, uh, center backs, and I don't think I could go with uh, Michigan State in that hypothetical matchup. But who knows? Maybe the Tar Heels uh, screw up my prediction. Okay. And then the Georgetown-Creighton matchup, what do you make of that one, if, if that does happen? I think that 
you know, the Hoyas went to Omaha for all this talk. I went up of Omaha and beat Creighton when they're a little bit down. It was a very close game, low scoring. I think this would be a 1-0 or maybe a 0-0 to 0-0 PK win for the Blue Jays. So I, I would go with a Creighton-UCLA national title game. Okay. And then out of that, do you have UCLA winning? I guess I suppose so. I picked Stanford to win at the beginning, so mm-hmm. and Syracuse in another one. So yes. I guess I'll go with the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. I, I In my bracket, I filled out originally, I had Syracuse and UCLA in the final game. And I had UCLA beating Syracuse. Uh, it, from yeah, what? Stick with your pick. Yeah. Yes, it does. And then you know, just from what you guys have written and from what I've seen and read, it UCLA just looks like they just have a lot of talent. But as you said, w- can they show up and carry North Carolina? Uh, I thought. I thought the big adjustment when Michigan State played Washington, you know, the different time, the t- the time zone. Uh, really gets to you, especially you know it takes it takes your body a while to adjust to the, you know to the time difference. Uh, can UCLA, you know, who's gonna obviously always played in warm weather, can they adjust to the cold weather as well as well as the time zone difference? I think that'll be you know the biggest uh, factor against the Bruins if they do make it to carry North Carolina. Yeah, they've had, always had so much talent, so they have. Probably the most talented players. Yeah, they have some injury, but injuries that they have dealt with. But I think that you know they've got they've got the roster to do it. It's just a question of whether they can execute on the day, because obviously North Carolina has the ability to go on the road and shut them down. So uh, I think you know when you're looking at all four games, a lot of similar storylines. You know, whoever scores that first goal, a little bit more likely to win with. Things are just so tight. Uh, set pieces are critical at this stage of the season as uh, you know, teams decide to be a little more uh, stingy in their approach and doesn't always lead to the prettiest of soccer. But um, I think that you're going to see a lot of similar games of these four, in my opinion. Well, that was Travis Clark from uh, topdoorsoccer.com, a uh, reporter. That was the uh, us discussing the Elite Eight and our predictions for the Final Four and the championship game. Uh, Travis, thanks for calling in and uh, taking time out of your day. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. Thanks you too, Travis.